upsets you? Do you find yourself frequently frustrated? Do you threaten punishments in order to stop unwanted behaviors? Or perhaps you focus on the good behavior, the behavior you want to see, and reward your children when they behave in the way you like. How are these strategies working for you? Perhaps they work at least some of the time, but not without constant policing and exhaustion on your part. Have you ever found yourself wondering if there are better ways to parent? Ways that don't leave you feeling like the bad cop as you constantly police your children's behavior? In today's podcast, I will address common practices that parents use when raising children that leave them stressed and drained. I will explain why these strategies are likely causing parents far more stress than their children's behaviors. What am I talking about? Are you ready to awaken to a more peaceful way to parent? Then be sure to join me. My name is Jill McPherson, and this is the Awakened Parenting Podcast. with a degree in child psychology and in education. I'm a parenting consultant with specialized interest in supporting conscious parents who are seeking effective and compassionate ways to parent. I am privileged to be the mother of three girls and one boy who are now 13, 16, 19, and 20. They continue to be my greatest teachers and motivators in self-awareness and personal development. Before I dive into today's topic, I want to share some thoughts I offer parents who take my online parenting workshop, which you can read more about on my website at jillmcpherson.com. One thing I suggest is to consider only seeking advice from parents who are parenting in a way that you want to parent. In other words, who seem to have relatively positive and peaceful relationships with their children. Another suggestion is to connect to the inner wisdom you already have within yourself. Other people's advice is most helpful if it assists you in doing just that, going inward to find answers. We all have wisdom within ourselves. However, most of us were not taught or perhaps were even discouraged to find answers from within. You will know you have connected to that inner wisdom if the advice offered gives you a sense of peace rather than stress. I also suggest treating your children and their challenging behaviors in the same way you would want to be treated. In other words, when considering how to handle a challenging situation, if you would not want someone to inflict that strategy on you, then I would suggest avoiding doing that to your child. This is likely the point that challenges me the most as a parent. In both parenting and teaching, there seems to be a common paradigm that we as adults are entitled to treat children in a way that we would not want to be treated. We even have expectations on children that we often can't maintain ourselves, like consistently keeping a tidy bedroom or not being late. It is a phenomenon that has been occurring for generations, and so, at least from my experience, it's a difficult one to change. In today's podcast, I want to shed some more light on this last suggestion I offer parents. 
I am certain most parents are not intentionally addressing children's challenging behavior in a cruel way. I believe, for the most part, parents are treating their children in a very similar manner to how they were treated. I address this topic in my blog, We Parent the Way We Were Parented Unless We Choose Otherwise, which I encourage you to read on my website at jillmcpherson.com. Conscientious parents clearly are wanting to awaken to more kind and loving ways to interact with their children and stop the practices that were used on them as children that were not helpful. In this podcast, I will examine those practices that many of us experienced and unfortunately continue to occur frequently within our homes and schools today. My hope is that by shedding light on some of these cultural norms, that we can begin to awaken to ways that are not only more humane, but are far more effective in creating positive changes within ourselves and in creating kind and loving relationships we desire with our children. That will continue even when our children are in their teen and adult years. What are the practices that greatly concern me that frequently occur within homes and schools? They are commonly known as behavior modification strategies. One of my goals in this podcast is to explain why they are not only lacking in compassion, but ineffective in creating lasting positive growth in our children's development and our relationships with them. Later in the podcast, I will share a way of communication, which I believe is far more effective in creating loving relationships and peace within ourselves and our children. A common practice rooted in behavior modification is punishment. How do you stop a child's unwanted behavior? Many parents would suggest punishing them. Many of those same parents likely experienced various forms of punishment as a child. Perhaps you experienced this. If you did something deemed wrong or bad by a parent, perhaps you received some sort of punishment. Punishments like withdrawn privileges, a possession taken away, time removed from a pleasurable activity, time isolated from family, or perhaps physical punishment. And what is wrong with that? After all, if kids don't receive some sort of punishment for their bad behaviors, how will they learn? If we don't punish them, then they'll just keep doing the bad behaviors, right? Is that true? Is that true for us? Do we require punishment in order to stop doing something? Our judicial system is built on this belief. Punish criminals so they will learn what they did was wrong. Punish them to ensure they won't do it again and deter others from considering the same criminal behavior. If punishment truly was an effective way of stopping unwanted behaviors and crime, then I've often wondered why our jails are not empty. I remember babysitting when I was a teenager. Of course, I used punishments frequently when the kids did something I thought was wrong. I remember one time being very angry at one of the children I was caring for. To be honest, I'm not clear of the details of what happened. I vaguely recall it had something to do with him hurting his brother. What I clearly remember is ordering him to his room for a set period of time with the instructions to think about what he just did and why it was wrong. I remember after the words coming out of my mouth that I highly doubted he was in his room pondering the ethics of his behavior. I guessed he was likely spending far more time planning revenge. His pain, embarrassment, and feelings of neglect would likely fuel future unwanted behavior. 
until I was aware of what was truly going on for him during the unwanted behavior, until I knew, and ideally he knew, what needs he was trying to get met during the fight with his brother, then likely the negative behavior would continue. In fact, his behavior would likely get worse or show up in more severe ways as he got older. I will explain more on what I mean by needs not getting met later in this podcast. So, the problem with punishment is that it is only a temporary deterrent to the unwanted behaviors. Punishment does not address the cause of why the child is misbehaving. Another component of behavior modification is rewards. When I graduated from Teachers College 25 years ago, there was a strong shift to manage children's behavior in what was believed to be a more positive way. Instead of punishing unwanted behaviors, we were encouraged to catch them being good. We freely and easily offered children words of praise every time they behaved in a way that we liked. Words of praise were shared about almost everything children did. Oh, good sitting. Nice sharing. Look how well you're coloring. Good eating. Look how nicely you're sitting up. You are all standing so well in line. At the same time, stickers were flying here, there, and everywhere, catching kids being good. So, what's wrong with that? I would suggest that rewarding our kids for good behavior is simply the opposite side of the same coin. The goal is still the same as punishment. The goal is still about changing and manipulating the child's behavior to meet our needs, not fostering essential life skills like decision-making, effective communication skills, self-awareness, and empathy for others. Please be sure to note, words of appreciation to a child are wonderful. We enjoy others sharing appreciation to us as well. However, there's a very fine line between sharing words of appreciation because a child did something that brought you joy versus words of praise in order to secretly manipulate their behaviors. I know praise has been a very difficult habit for me to break. However, as an adult, I welcome words of sincere appreciation, but not sneaky manipulation. At a deep, often unconscious level, parents use behavior modification strategies because they simply want their child's behavior to change. At some level, some might be thinking something like, I want you to behave in a way that will make my life easier so I can be happy. Of course, for many, this thought might not be a conscious one. Perhaps at some level, we might be thinking, I need to find ways to change your behavior so that I look good as a parent and feel better about myself. After all, being concerned about what others think of us as parents is truly the greatest parenting stress of all. Just think of the many things our children do that challenge us. Would we be truly stressed out about many of those things if we knew no one would judge us about them? There may be more conscious and obvious reasons why parents use punishments and rewards. Parents may have beliefs like, behave how I think you should behave so you'll grow up to be a civilized, respectful, and kind adult. That is my job, so I need to use these strategies to ensure you turn out all right. That sounds like good intentions to me. The problem with this is that behavior modification strategies do not facilitate these skills or will ensure your child develops the skills you desire, unless, of course, being obedient and dependent on others is your goal. In other words, they create children dependent on extrinsic rewards in order to change their behaviors rather than using intrinsic motivation to better understand themselves and learn how to manage their own emotions, thoughts, and behaviors. 
Here's a recent example of what I mean by children making choices for intrinsic reasons versus children who are dependent on external reasons to make what might be deemed as positive choices. I teach kindergarten to grade three students music and drama. Due to COVID regulations, our school was not able to do our usual return to school tradition of all meeting in the gym to see one another and meet new students and teachers. Therefore, one of our teachers decided to create a slideshow of the staff. The slideshow consisted of staff members showing ways to say hello while wearing a mask, as well as a photo without their mask so students could see their entire face. Recently, I was showing the slideshow to one of my grade two classes. One of the students asked where the principal was. I said, just wait, you will see him. Then another student said, we have to have a principal. Without a principal, then where would kids go if they were bad? To which another student said, yeah, without a principal, there'd be a lot of bad kids. My heart sunk. They already believe that there needs to be a threat of punishment by an authority figure in order to make good choices about their behavior. So I challenged their thinking about that. I assured them that I believed they could make wise choices even if we did not have a principle. I offered them a new narrative. I suggested they did not make good choices because they feared getting in trouble. They made good choices because they are good at listening to their gut following their feelings, and considering the needs of others. Which belief system will empower children more? Fear of a principle or faith in their own abilities? Clearly, we all know the answer to this question. Behavior modification is a way to continually address and manage symptoms of a problem rather than the actual problem. For example, your child lying to you that they finished their chores when they did not is not the problem. In fact, lying is not a problem. It is a symptom of a problem. Punishing a lie is overlooking the far more important part. The important part being what is going on with the child that she or he felt the need to lie. Therefore, punishment and rewards are not helpful in creating positive, long-lasting healthy behaviors because they deny your child the opportunity to discover what is really going on underneath her negative emotions and challenging behavior. Remember the suggestion I offer parents about before deciding on how you will handle a challenging situation with your child to first test it out on yourself? Would your idea work well on yourself if you were struggling with an unwanted behavior like overeating, drinking, or constant tardiness? Consider asking yourself, does threatening punishments or offering rewards make us as adults better people? If we are not acting the way our spouse wants us to act, for example, would withdrawing love and attention, threatening to take away things like money or one of our prized possessions be helpful? Would we consistently behave the way our partner wants us to behave if he or she rewarded us with treats, money, or gifts? In the short term, perhaps. However, for the most part, our partner threatening punishments or offering us rewards typically does not make us want to jump up with sincere apologies and promise we will be good from now on. 
In fact, my experience is when we are coerced into changing ourselves in order to fit into another person's expectation, it creates anger and builds resentment over time. I would suggest that behavior modification strategies contributes greatly to the challenges many parents have once their children reach the teen years and beyond. I often wonder if we would not want a strategy done to us, then why would we do it to children? So, are behavior modification strategies really an effective way to create happy and highly functional adults? The research keeps clearly indicating no. In his book, Punished by Rewards, Alfie Cohen cites countless research experiments involving children supporting the ineffectiveness of behavior modification strategies in creating happy, independent, and creative thinking adults. For example, continually rewarding children for learning minimizes their desire to learn for the love of learning. Grades being a common way to reward behavior, I see this time and time again in school. When children arrive in kindergarten, they are curious, risk-takers, soaking up all the learning available to them. By the time they reach higher elementary grades, learning has become a chore that they often are not very interested in doing unless it is rewarded with a grade. I have yet to hear a kindergarten student ask me before starting a task, does this count? Will we be marked on this? But unfortunately, it is a very common question only a few years later. If behavior modification strategies aren't effective at creating creative, independent, problem-solving children or at building a positive adult-child relationship, then why do they continue to be so popular? Why are they so commonly used in acceptable forms of child-rearing? Because in the short term, they work. As soon as we put a list of desired behaviors in front of a child and offer them stickers every time we see the good behaviors or when we threaten to take away privileges or possessions if we see the bad behaviors, then we will almost always instantly get what we desire, a child behaving the way we want them to behave. Over the long term, however, these strategies stop working. Why do they stop working? Firstly, it doesn't take long before the child tires of the reward. When the sticker is no longer novel, then a new problem arises. The parent needs to find another sticker to keep the desired behaviors coming. With small children, for example, you may have witnessed yourself how excited they become over seeing a sticker placed on their behavior chart. For the first few days, everything runs like clockwork. However, after only a short time, the offering of a sticker lacks novelty, and eventually parents may find themselves needing to up the reward by offering a treat like candy or some other desired item. As they get older, the stickers, as I say in quotation marks, often become bigger, brighter, and more expensive. Another reason why behavior modification strategies fail is because they're exhausting to maintain. Have you ever created a behavior chart or a contract to only discover that a week went by and you forgot about rewarding the behavior? Or you didn't have time to inflict the punishment as you were rushing out the door to work? 
or the punishment was scheduled for the weekend, and the weekend came and went and you forgot. Ah, yep, it's exhausting. The point of the behavior modification strategies is to change your child's behavior, and yet often it is the adults that struggle to change their behaviors in order to correctly implement the strategy. Another loophole parents experience is that sometimes no reward or punishment will work. Why is that? Why are children suddenly willing to give up a prized possession or appear to no longer care about a previously enjoyed activity? Why will they choose to continue demonstrating the unpleasant behavior no matter what the punishment or reward? It is critical to recognize that the child's misbehavior is not due to a lack of reward or the absence of a punishment. So after hearing all the reasons why punishments and rewards are not an effective way to raise children, then what do I suggest? Let's use the example that you've asked your child to clean up their room and now they're angry, perhaps even yelling something like, I don't want to clean up my room. It's my room. Why do I have to clean it up? I love quoting Marshall Rosenberg, the founder of nonviolent communication. One of his quotes is, at the core of all anger is a need that is not being fulfilled. A need not being fulfilled? What need could a child have who is angry about cleaning up his room? Or a child screaming at the top of her lungs over a toy? What need would siblings have who are punching each other on the floor? What could a child crying over homework need? What could a child who's refusing to finish his supper? I found it very difficult to tap into the needs of my children when I am consumed with not meeting my own needs. How do I know when I'm not meeting my needs? How do I know when I'm not taking care of myself? When I make their problems about me and do not investigate past their behavior. When I don't really question what the problem is under the undesirable behavior then I will likely make their difficult behaviors about me. In other words, I now deal with their behaviors as if I were the victim. Poor me. Look at what I have to deal with. Look at what I have to figure out how to fix. When I ask parents why they believe their child is behaving in this unpleasant way, I know they're making it about them when they respond with an answer that involves a very painful mental movie starring themselves as the lead victim. Why won't my kids clean up, stop fighting, do their homework, finish eating dinner I prepare for them? Because they're trying to control me. Because they want to be the boss. Because they're trying to embarrass me in front of my family. Because they don't care. Because they only think about themselves. Because they're showing attitude. Because they are lazy. Or some other version of, my child is making my life miserable. Can you absolutely know for certain what your child is thinking? Is it safe to make assumptions about their behavior without further investigating? I find when a parent assumes they know what their child is thinking or why they are misbehaving, then they're likely to take their child's behavior personally, often resulting in the parent proceeding to act in a very determined and unapologetic way, which can result in deteriorating the relationship with the child, also ensuring in not getting the desired results. Did I use punishments and rewards with my kids? Absolutely. After all, I am a teacher. 
I was trained in behavior modification strategies. Do I ever take their difficult behaviors personally and make it all about me? Of course. In my moments of unconscious parenting, in my moments when I'm not taking care of myself, in my moments of believing painful stories about my incompetence as a parent or believing others are seeing me as a bad parent. Then I respond with painful strategies like punishment, threats, and bribery. Over the years, as a mother, I remember seeing the distress, frustration, and pain in my children's eyes when I tried using charts and other behavior modification strategies to get them to do what I wanted. Seeing their augmented anger and frustration brought back memories of when I was a child. I remember those painful times of not feeling heard or understood. I remember wondering in painful confusion why adults treated children like substandard humans with entirely different rules for children than they were for adults. I would wonder how it was that adults would treat children in a way that they themselves would never want to be treated. I would wonder how it was that they forgot what it was like to be a kid. When I was a child, I made a promise to myself that when I finally became an adult, I would never forget what it was like to be a kid. I promised myself that I would treat kids, especially my children, the way I would want to be treated. How did I do keeping my childhood promise? For many years, not as well as I'd hoped. However, it was in the painful moments of threatening punishments or bribing my children with rewards, policing charts, and then dealing with their challenging behaviors that wouldn't go away, I would remember my promise. It propelled me to seek more humane ways to discover what was really going on under the temper tantrums, the hitting, the fighting, or defiance. I knew I needed more information. I knew I needed a better understanding of what was happening for them, and most importantly, I needed more skills in order to more effectively and compassionately address their undesirable behaviors. As I read books, attended workshops, took courses, and sought out mentors, I began to awaken to more loving and far less exhausting ways to parent. I discovered the reason why my children acted in unpleasant ways. I learned, for example, that children, just like adults, are acting the way they do in order to get their needs met. But what could their needs be? My experience is that it can be challenging to figure out. In fact, you may have asked your child, why are you behaving this way? Only to be answered with a silence, a grunt, or perhaps an, I don't know. On the surface, that is likely true. Just like adults, Many times we act out in a way that leaves us wondering and asking ourselves, what was I thinking? Why did I do that? Why did I say that? It takes knowledge and skills in order to know how to lead a child inward to find the answer. Another fact I've awakened to is the realization that the things we dislike about our child are the things we do to some degree, often without our conscious awareness. We too are trying to get our needs met, and when they are not, we experience negative emotions, often followed by negative behaviors like yelling, throwing objects, slamming doors, or inflicting harsh punishments on our children. What need might we be trying to get met yelling at our kids? The need to be heard? The need for respect? 
Yelling at a teenager who doesn't share her life experiences with you could be about your need for inclusion. Isn't it ironic when we don't wake up ourselves to what's really going on, we tend to choose behaviors that get us the opposite of our desired outcome. For example, how well does yelling at a child meet your need to be heard or your need for respect? How effective is punishing a teenager for doing something behind your back help you in meeting your need to be included in their lives? How do we make the shift from managing children's unwanted behaviors to addressing their needs? How do we find out what's really going on with our children when they're acting out? Several years ago, I discovered nonviolent communication by Marshall Rosenberg, which changed my life and my relationships dramatically for the better. At first glance, it offers more loving and compassionate ways to speak to not just our children, but to all the people in our lives. At first, I thought this was the full extent of nonviolent communication, otherwise known as NVC. However, after more extensive training in NVC, I realize that this technique is far more than just a way to speak to others in order to reduce conflict. It is a highly effective tool that has the potential to build peaceful relationships between ourselves and another person. This includes our children, our partner, our friends, anyone we need to communicate with. Most importantly, it is a tool that allows us to start communicating more peacefully to ourselves. I include an introduction to NVC in my eight-part online parenting workshop. My introductory online workshop offers several very effective tools required for conscious and peaceful parenting. NVC is just one of them. Be sure to check out my website, jillmcpherson.com, for more details. So, if you're interested in reducing conflict in your home, no longer exhausting yourself policing behavior charts and enforcing consequences, if you're interested in improving communication between you and your child, if you're interested in creating a more loving relationship with your child based on mutual respect, and if you're interested in creating more peace in your home and within yourself, then I invite you to join me and other parents who are awakening to a more compassionate way to parent. Please join me in my mission to shift our parenting paradigm from one that involves controlling and manipulating children's behaviors to a paradigm that involves adults fostering skills in compassion and self-awareness. with me. Feel free to email me your questions at jillmcpersonyes at gmail.com and I will do my best to answer them in future podcasts. I would also greatly enjoy the opportunity to have a parent join me to do a live recording where I answer your concerns during a recorded one-to-one conversation. We can create these recordings from different locations so even if you do not live near me, thanks to technology, this will not be an issue. I look forward to hearing from you. Until then, this is your host, Jill McPherson, on Awakened Parenting.